Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Felt like I was graduating high school when I walked up here. How's everybody doing? Good, good. How about another round of applause? Let's get loud. Let's get loud. Yeah, Donna am. Cool. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, how we... Cool. Can you all hear me? It's good to see you. Good to see everybody here today. And uh, I am blessed to be with you all. Um, so this morning, we are, as Pastor Roger has told us all, we are finishing our foundation series. Well, we're not finished. We're finishing it on Sundays. And then next week, we'll come together for a theology coffee. And it's just been so... I just want to take a deep breath. It's, I think it's been such a, a, a great time of learning and growing and a challenge, challenging. And uh, I just want to honor all of you for coming back <laughs> the next week. You know, I think sometimes uh, us pastors and leaders, we don't understand the power that we have on the pulpit. The way we communicate, our tone, we don't understand sometimes, uh, or it could be really easy to forget that there are hearts and minds that are sitting here in the seats that are being challenged or, or, or being uh, met with some sort of um, confrontational dynamic. And so I just want to honor you, the church, uh, for being able to come in here uh, Sundays after Sundays and to be able to receive um, even when maybe it's difficult to receive something. Uh, I think a lot of times we, and I think appropriately, we, we honor the pastors to come up here and bring the word, but I think we should honor the church that comes here to sit under the word. And all of the tensions that are at play in your hearts and minds as I'm communicating. In fact, there might be one thing I say where you might be amening it, but the person next to you in their heart might be feeling Anger, frustration, fear. Uh, so I just want to honor you. And also today as we talk about gender identity, and really all of our topics, it's not just this, um, understanding just the sensitivities around this entire conversation. And so again, uh, much like last week, this is going to be a bit of a talk, more than an exegetical sermon uh, I will make sure that we include scriptures, of course. Uh, but nonetheless, this is going to be a conversation. It will not a, a, a talk. Uh, um, and so I want to, again, just lay that out as we get into this dynamic. So I honor you for coming back another week <laughs> and being here ready to receive. Thank you for being the church of Christ together, the body of Christ, whether you're the mouth <laughs> you're the hands, you're the feet, wherever you fit or sit. Thank you. God bless you. Now let's jump into this conversation. I want to make this statement. Uh, postmodernism. Postmodernism has invaded pop culture and has literally taught an entire generation how to think. Postmodernism has invaded pop culture. When I say that, movies, 
any form of media, television, so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Postmodern has invaded pop culture and it has literally taught an entire generation how to think. Now, if you don't believe me, just follow your heart. You see, that phrase, just follow your heart, is a product of postmodernism. In fact, it's pretty much been the theme of every Disney movie for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Postmodernism is, if I were to explain it, is a kind of rebellious shift out of modernism. So let's pretend like modernism was like mom and dad. Postmodernism is like the kid that went to college and came back and like knew everything, right? Postmodernism is like a rebellious shift away from or out of modernism. Now, in order to understand postmodernism, you're going to have to know a little bit about modernism. So sometime in the 1700s, modernism uh, 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 moved away from depending on religion to explain everything. You see, prior to the 1700s, uh, religion and the church was the explanation for everything. It was God, 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 God. This didn't happen, this didn't happen, God, God. And all of a sudden, there was a breakthrough in technology and science advancements. And when science and technology broke through, modernism was born in that we no longer needed to depend on the church or religious institutions to tell us what is real and what is not. And so modernism believed in objective reality, and that we can be certain about what is true. Are you with me? Yeah. Now listen, while modernism saw truth as objective, postmodernism sees truth as subjective. And so postmodernism is a breaking away of modernism and saying that truth is, you, basically postmodernism say truth is relative. Truth is relative. Truth is what you say it is. You've probably heard a lot of people, I, we, we, I've never heard this phrase maybe 15, 20 years ago, but I hear it more now every day is my truth, right? That's my truth and that's your truth and that's her truth and we all have our own truths. And there is a truth to that. We all have different lenses and experiences Right? But nonetheless, when we all are looking at the same thing, observing the same thing, and yet our truths are different, there comes a collision. Well, what is truth? You see, for, for a postmodernist, are you ready? Truth is what you feel. And when truth becomes what you feel, you then give authority to your experiences to determine your decisions. Y'all say, y'all hear what I'm saying? When truth is what you feel it is, you then authorize or give authority to your experiences to determine what your will is. As a result, postmodernism, in postmodernism, there is no grand story. There is no meta-narrative in postmodernism. You're not living for something greater than yourselves in postmodernism because you are the great thing that you live for. 
In postmodernism, there is no God. You create your own truth. And when you create your own truth, you produce your own set of morals and ethics. It is your truth. So there's no meta narrative in postmodernism. There is no God. We create our own realities. We follow our hearts. Y'all see that? And in some ways you could say, because that we are the masters of our own fates and we create our own truths, you could say you are God in postmodernism. And any, listen, any exclusive truth claims in postmodernism are impositions of power that need to be deconstructed. I'm gonna say that again, because I know that's any exclusive truth claims in postmodernism are just forms of power that need to be deconstructed because we no longer believe in exclusive truth because everyone has their own truth. One of those truth claims Postmodernism feels the need to disconstruct, deconstruct, is the claim that sex is binary, that it is male and female. You see how that is an exclusive truth claim? And so that needs to be deconstructed according to postmodernism. So transgenderism and really the entire sexual revolution really is a product of postmodernity. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So from this idea of postmodernism comes all of these subcategories and the sexual revolution and gender identity and really transgenderism and everything that kind of falls in those categories is the result of a postmodern reality. Now, mom and dads, it's entered into your vocabulary, but it's also very much in our children's vocabulary. Now, this isn't a scare tactic. We have the word of God and I... I don't believe that whether it's modernism, I mean, postmodernism, uh, prior to modernism, I believe that we can pull, I think the word of God would rebuke and exhort some elements. But nonetheless, it's from this bedrock that we are birthing forth understandings of truth that are ultimately um, deconstructing what the scriptures have to say. Are you with me? So transgenderism is a product of a postmodern reality. Now on May 29th, 2014, Time Magazine published a cover story called The Transgender Tipping Point. This was uh, May 29th, 2014. Now on the front... We can keep that up. On the front, on the front cover of Time stood Laverne Cox, an African-American transgender woman who stars in the Netflix drama, Orange is the New Black. Some of y'all may enjoy that and don't worry. It's okay to enjoy Orange is the New Black, okay? Nonetheless, um, this transgender woman uh, donned the cover of Time magazine and it was called The Transgender Tipping Point. Now, one year later, Many of you are going to be very familiar. The world meant Caitlyn Jenner 
on Vanity Fair. Okay? It's okay. The world met Caitlyn Jenner, Vanity Fair. Now, if you recall, Caitlyn was born a male and he was an Olympic gold medal, gold medalist. He's also the stepfather of the Kardashians. And now, of course, the famous Jenner. Um, I'm not really good with her names. Somebody give me her name. Kyrie, there you go. And I know there's a, there's a few Jenners. Um, I believe that she now is also running for the uh, governor of California. And she's Republican. So, you know, I, we'll see how that works out. But I, I, want you to, I want you to understand these two, from Time Magazine to Vanity Fair, I, I, wanna, I, want, I want you to hear uh, a, a British journalist who's also a feminist. Her name is Lori Penny. This is what she wrote. Something enormous is happening in our culture. In the past three years, and especially in the past 12 months, a great many transsexual celebrities Actors and activists have exploded into the public sphere. She goes on to say, Time Magazine is correct to call the next civil, to call this transgender movement the next civil rights frontier. She says this, and this is key. If we believe in social justice, we must support the trans community as it makes its way proudly into the mainstream. Listen, increasingly holding on to an orthodox biblical view of gender and sexuality is being seen as oppressive, homophobic, and transphobic. That is why if we are going to remain faithful to Christ, and faithful to the call of Christ to love the world on mission, the church is going to need more courage, more conviction. You ready for this one? And more compassion. More compassion. More compassion. In fact, the compassion you're thinking right now, more. In fact, and that more and more. You know, I don't ever want to be the publican on the roof looking at the tax collector and the tax collector is praying and beating his chest and saying, I'm a sinner. And the publican is praying and saying, thank God I'm not like the tax collector. You understand that? And I say that to church folk. And so let the hearer hear and understand what the Spirit is saying in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is true. It is beautiful. It is lovely and it has something true, beautiful, and lovely to say to all of us, regardless of our current situation and circumstance. So I pray for this church. You would open our hearts and minds. I pray for all those who are tuning in online. You would open their hearts and their minds so that you would do what I can't do, transform hearts, that I would only water or plant seeds according to your will. 
So we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How y'all doing? Good? All right. So I thought I'd start off with a little bit of joke this morning, okay? And since we're talking about sexuality, it's a sexuality joke. I know that's going to feel kind of weird or whatnot, but I promise you, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but nonetheless. So what do you call the sexuality that is tra- attracted to both male and female, but male and females are not attracted to them? By yourself is what I call that. By yourself, right? By yourself. Because ain't nobody caring about you. Ain't nobody attracted to you. You by yourself. And it doesn't matter whether you're a churchgoer or not. I think everybody would laugh at that joke because you were just by yourself. And so we can create a category for you. Any by yourselves up in here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amen. I think that it is really important for us to be able to define some terms. Y'all remember that? You ever have vocabulary words? Uh, Maybe I'm dating myself. I'm not sure what they call them now, but back in the day in English class, you would go to class and then you would come home with a list of terms and you had like a quiz that Friday and you had to understand the definitions and we call it like a vocab test or, you know, vocabulary terms or whatever the case may be. I think it's important that we go back to school a little bit and just get schooled on what I believe are important terms terms, especially if we want to be disciples, especially if we want to disciple disciples, and especially if we want to be on mission for Christ in this world. Amen? So five vocabulary words, and I've actually been testing people all week. I started with my wife, and she was like, oh, you should do a quiz for everybody. And I was like, that would be great, but I'm not sure, like, you know, if we'd have time to be able to do it. And so I've been testing everybody. So I'm going to give you the five terms right now. Obviously, we're not going to be able to take the quiz. uh, But nonetheless, for your own mindset, I would like to see if you could maybe define some of these terms even in your own heart. So here we go. Number one, the first term is sex. Number two, the second term is gender. Number three, the second term, uh, third term is gender identity. Number four is gender dysphoria. And number five is transgender, okay? So I'm gonna give you those terms again. Number one is sex. Can you define what that is? Number two is gender. Can you define what that is? Number three is, ge- is gender identity. Can you define that? Number four is gender dysphoria. And number five is transgender. Anybody in here think they can get all five? Ain't nobody raising their hand. I'm not going to call on you, trust me. But those are the five terms that I want to try to define to you right now to the best of my ability according to research that I've been looking at. Um, And uh, and then we can blast off from there. Amen. Are you all ready? Are you guys thinking in your head already? Like, man, I wonder what, are you confused with certain terms? Maybe one term feels like, well, if I define it, it feels like that's what that is, right? So I'm going to go ahead and try and separate them out categorically so that uh, we can all have a bedrock to launch from. So let's start with sex. Sex is biological. That's the key word, biology, right? And so when you think about sex, it is determined by your chromosomes, right? It's embedded into your DNA. You have an XY for male and XX for female, right? And so your sex is determined by this chromosome biologically, okay? And, and so let me, let me talk about something else that kind of falls into that category. There are primary 
sex characteristics, and then there are secondary sex characteristics. Let me give you an example. A primary sex characteristic would be uh, the differences between a man and a woman's reproductive organs and systems, okay? That would be number. That would be a primary. Now there are also secondaries. So a secondary, uh, 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 a secondary sex characteristic would be an adult woman or male different in body type, uh, uh, an adult a female uh, uh, or male difference in voice, and also uh, in emotion. Okay. And so there are these. Sex is biologically determined. DNA at the chromosome level X X and X Y. There are primary characteristics like your reproductive systems and then there are secondary like body type, voice, emotion, so on and so forth. Are you with me? So here's what's really important about this category. Biological sex is objective and discernible. Are you with me? It's objective and discernible. Everyone is born with a binary biological sex. The majority well, all of science, and even the majority of the LGBTQI plus community will agree with that reality. Are you with me? Yes. And number two, gender. Now, if you were like me, I confuse sex and gender. Let me give you an example. I woke up this morning, put on this shirt, and my son was like, oh, you have mommy's shirt on, <laughs> right? You have mommy's shirt on. Um, and the reason why there's, a, it's okay to laugh. It's okay. The, the, reason, the reason why my son thought that's number one, I have to give him some credit. My, my wife likes hot pink, so he understands her colors. But when I talk about gender, what I'm talking about is the social, cultural norms on how we express our biology, right? Male and female. Now, these elements aren't inherently, like it, pink isn't inherently like female. It's not exclusively female, right? But nonetheless, in our culture, we do blue for boy, right? Even when we do, we do like gender reveals, right? Our culture has these elements in order to be able to identify what somebody was biological and then they were raised up in cultural norms to walk out these standards, right? Little boys play with trucks. Little girls play with dolls. Some daddies freak out if little boys play with dolls and little girls play with trucks. You, you get what I'm saying here? So when you're talking about gender, you're talking about the cultural norms that flow from the biological sex. And actually it can change in different cultures, right? So if you were a kilt, right? And your name was William Wallace, <laughs> you were a very masculine man. Now, if you walked in today and wore a kilt, that might be a little different, right? And so different cultures, different times, different eras, different things. Even how men embrace in different cultures are different. But nonetheless, gender flows out of this biological understanding of sex in which we express that gender culturally. Are you with me? Now, traditionally, this is key. Traditionally, and that word tradition is triggering for some people. Traditionally, gender follows biological sex. Gender follows biological sex. But what we are now beginning to see take place is a severing of gender from biological sex. Are you with me? 
And we're creating a new category of this understanding, which leads to our third term, gender identity. Gender identity. Everyone walking with me here? Okay. Okay. Now, what is gender identity? Gender identity can be defined as your internal perception of yourself. How you perceive yourself to really be internally, psychologically, not biologically. Y'all see the difference there? So biology and psychology, psychology is how I think. Biology is this kind of rooted in DNA and chromosomal element, right? Y'all see that? And so gender identity is your internal perception of yourself that is psychological and not biological. So one may identify as female even though they were born biologically male. Are you with me? Psychology, biology. Now it's here in this gender identity category where we see the rubber meeting the road, right? In, for example, Facebook lists about 50 gender expressions. To name a few, agender, androgynous, cisgender, pangender, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit, non-binary, gender fluid, cisgender male, cisgender female, so on and so forth. There are 50 of these categories. You can look them up. In fact, there are more than that. Now, it's here in this place where you see postmodernism peeking its head. Y'all see that? I'm just making sure I made that connection. It's here where you see postmodernism, its influence kind of peeking its head out. See, what happens is truth, so you ready, is no longer based upon something that is objective and discernible, like biological sex. But now truth is based on feelings and experience because it's my truth. You see that shift there? Dr. Fer, Dr. Fer, <laughs> Dr. Christopher Yuan, he's a professor of ministry and sexuality, amazing. Check out Christopher Yuan. Like again, I want to give so much credit to a lot of these individuals that are helping me create this. And you can go online, you can check him out. Has an amazing story. Lived a homosexual lifestyle for many, many years. Um, has, has an amazing story. He's very gracious. And, um, but he is a professor of ministry and Sexuality, he says this transgenderism is not exclusively a battle for what is male and female, but a battle for what is true and real. What is true and what is real? Can I just say this real quick, lovingly, graciously? This is where we begin to see creation divorce itself from creator. Y'all see that divorce taking place? Watch. Because truth no longer transcends me, but is in me. Y'all see that? We become our own gods. We, we become, we give ourselves the authority to self-determine. Can I just say this too? It's not just a transgender thing. All of us have idolatry of self. You self-determine. When you don't pray, you make your decision, you're self-determining. We don't include God or godly counsel in certain situations and circumstances, you're making your own decision. Every time you do something outside of God's original design, his will, every time you walk into sin, it is you 
deciding and determining self. So it's easy to sit here and be like, well, that's them. No, no, no. That is all of us, but we're talking about postmodernism, transgenderism, but I want us to get that Pharisaic idea out of us because we're a gospel-centered church and the gospel brings us all to the cross. Amen? Okay. Because truth no longer trans, or because truth no longer transcends us. In other words, there's a greater God who is the governing us and telling us what is true. But now truth is in us. Y'all see how that happens? We become our own God. And you see creation divorcing itself from creator. We determine what is right and what is wrong. We determine what is good and what is bad, right? We determine what is male and female. And we see the garden scene played over and over again in our culture and in our lives every day. Satan saying, did God really say? Did he really say that? Is that really how it's meant to be? What do you say? What do you think? What do you feel? Who are you going to trust? Listen to how the Apostle Paul would diagnose our current cultural moment. I love the word of God. It is not antiquated. It is not archaic. It is not old-fashioned. It speaks directly into where we are. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now we skip to verse 24 through 25. He says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so what's really amazing about Romans one is that the apostle Paul says there are exchanges are being made. And every time humanity makes an exchange, it comes out in our morality and our ethics. You with me? The goal is simple. If we can deconstruct God and his word, then we can reconstruct man in our own image. And can I tell you something? That feels and seems good, but in the end, that thing destroys you. Deconstructing God's will and word and then recreating it in your own image never works. And most of you, all of you who are believers of Christ knew that because you tried that. Some of you are trying that still. Well, they are to some degree, but not surrendering and submitting something to the Lord and trusting that he knows better. We go from gender identity to gender dysphoria. Now, if you think of euphoria, when you think of being euphoric, you think of being excited. When you think of dysphoria, it's the opposite of euphoria. So gender dysphoria is a term used to describe, are you ready? The distress one feels when their gender identity does not match their biological sex. Dysphoria is the anxiety, the depression, the suicidal ideations, and even suicide itself 
describes that distress that somebody is feeling when they perceive that their biological sex does not match who they believe and feel themselves to be. And for many, it's since the day they could remember. You with me? Can you feel compassion entering into the room? I hope it is. This distress, like I said, can lead to anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, suicide itself. Now, Dr. Mark Yarhouse, professor of psychology, again, another individual I highly recommend, at Wheaton College cites that one in 10,000 males and one in 20,000 females experience genuine gender dysphoria. But he says there's also a lot of stuff that's missed and not talked about, and so it could be much, much higher than that. Christians in the room, I want you to know this is very real and a very painful burden that we must not trivialize. It's not to be laughed at, not to be bullied, tone, facial expressions. It's it's to be met with the love and compassion of our Savior's eyes. You with me? Now, there are some fascinating elements that I want to bring to the table here. In 2013, actually prior to 2013, dysphoria was actually categorized as a gender identity disorder. So prior to 2013, it was a disorder. After 2013, it became dysphoria. You, with, you see the language change, right? And psychologists know in the room, Pat Sherry, you know the room, right? DSM-4, right? It's this diagnostic that psychologists will use around the world to determine disorders and mental health. So the DSM-4 prior to 2013 would call this a disor- an identity disorder, but the DSM-5 now calls it gender dysphoria. Now, why is that language shift interesting or important for us? Let me explain. You see, in the DSM-4, it was the perceived mismatch that was considered a disorder. You ready? In the DSM-4, the disorder was the mismatch. So when somebody felt a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity, that felt mismatch was considered the disorder. And so care and treatment was geared towards the disorder. But when the name changed to dysphoria, the disorder no longer became the mismatch, but the distress that was the result of the mismatch. And so the care and treatment was no longer focused on the mismatch, but began to focus on the distress that was the result of the mismatch. I said a lot there. Are, we, are you following me? So I'm going to say this again, right? So before the disorder was the mismatch, the fact that somebody felt different, that was the disorder. So they would treat that, care for that, and try to bring their feelings, their psychology and alignment back with their biology. Now, the mismatch is encouraged and celebrated 
And the mismatch is not the disorder, the thing to be treated, but the stress, the distress that comes from that, the anxiety, the suicidal ideation, suicide, so on and so forth. And so it's keep your psychology and let's manage the anxiety. Are you with me? Okay, it's really important. And this should be a wake-up call for us because that shift in focus meant that if you believe in the traditional Judeo-Christian Orthodox understanding of sexuality, you now have become public enemy number one because your belief system and what is called heteronormativity is one of the main reasons why they feel the way they do. And so what needs to change is the church's understanding, not theirs. You see that? That's what you call deconstruction. So this leads to transgenderism, number five. Transgenderism is someone who is taking the steps to what is called transition, to live out their gender identity that does not align with their biological sex. Y'all with me? You can have gender dysphoria and not transition. I want you to know that. But transgenderism is that step that you take to begin to live out your identity. And what are those steps? You can change your name, change your pronouns, take some hormone therapy. You can even pursue surgery, cosmetic surgery, all in the effort to alter or reshape physical appearance to match the perceived gender identity. And again, that idea is that if I do that, I am, what am I doing? I'm treating the distress. So what does the Bible say about all this? Again, I don't have time to give you a thorough exegetical in scriptures. Really, we have to take the whole counsel of God. You're not gonna just turn to one chapter or one text and it's gonna handle this. And so we're gonna take a bird's eye view and there are questions that you can ask. We can sit down and talk more. I can share if you're very interested about this parents, you need to get aware. If you're very interested about this, or I can send you some resources that are compassionate and loving, but at the same time, truthful and gracious. Understand? So what does the Bible say? I am indebted in this particular portion to author and apologist, Sam Alberry. Um, and again, I can send you these as well if you're interested. I'm indebted to him in this. I'm, gonna, I'm basically gonna repeat some of the things that he says, and I'm gonna share my commentary with that. But the first thing that we wanna do is just look at Genesis 1, chapter one, verse 27. We're gonna stay there. It's not like we're gonna go all over the place in the scriptures, but it reads like this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Are you ready? Male and female, he created them. So I'm gonna give you three simple truths from this simple text. Simple verse. You ready? (laughs) Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes. First, sex is binary. God 
knitted into our DNA a two-sex biological reality. And this reality is God's idea. It's not man-made. This is God's idea. Sex is God's original design. And guess what? God creates male and female. And what do we see throughout the creation narrative? He affirms male and female by declaring what he makes what? Good. It's been so good that we've been operating off of the creation fall lens the last three weeks because this is where we sit here. Thank God for Genesis 1 through 3, right? Some of y'all thought, wow, man, that was just about a snake and a... No, no, right? It's a talking snake. It's weird. Thank God for Genesis 1 through 3 because it lays down a groundwork for original design. Sex is binary. It's God's idea. God's original design, not man-made. And God affirms and declares what he does is good. And so when God says it's good, what do we know? There's no need for improvements, shifts, additions, or changes. There's not a third sex or a fourth sex. Sex is not on a spectrum. We're told male and female, he created them, and it was good. It was good. It was good. But we know that the world has problems with what God calls good. So number one, sex is binary. I love what Sam Hallberry talks about when he talks about the beautiful binary. This is my, I call it the beautiful binary. He doesn't call it that. But nonetheless, everything else I attribute to him. He talks about a beautiful binary. He says this, that binary becomes hugely significant in the storyline of the Bible. The union of male and female become a picture, a signpost of the eventual union of heaven and earth that will one day occur through the work of Jesus Christ. And we'll actually see later on, Paul will tell us about this union of man and woman to be husband and wife, to actually be a sign of Christ in the church. In fact, Jesus will reinforce this in Matthew 19, but he'll go on to talk about eunuchs from birth. Some of you might be thinking about intersex. What do I mean by that? I mean, very rare circumstance in which some person is born with disorder. An intersex. There are real, true, but that is the result of the fall. But Jesus will talk about eunuchs by birth. Again, don't have time, Matthew 19. Number one, sex is binary, you ready? Number two, bodies matter to God. Bodies matter to God. You see, Christianity, you know what I love about it? (laughs) Now there are people in Christianity that make this mistake, but I love about true biblical Christianity is that we don't over-spiritualize at the cost of our bodies. Like we're not Gnostics that believe that all material is evil and that one day we, 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 don't, we don't just go to heaven and live as spirits forever. We believe in a bodily resurrection. We believe in a new creation remade. We don't believe in a spiritual place that we go to or spiritual. Now there will be a place where we be disembodied but Jesus came back and his body was resurrected. And so we believe that it's not evil, that it was originally what? Good and that God will bring us back to good and that we will one day be embodied for eternity in a glorified body. 
So we're not Gnostics. When God created man, he did not create a non-physical entity named Adam and then looked for a body to put this entity in. You see that? Like God didn't just like this kind of floating spirit, non-visible entity, Adam, and it's okay, now let's find a body to put him in. No, 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 that's not how it took place. Every human being is an integrated whole, mind, body, soul, and spirit. There are no mismatch between minds and bodies, bodies and souls. While transgenderism tries to sever the mind from the body, the Bible teaches that the body is the body of the mind and the mind is the mind of the body. This is why we see God fashioning out of the ground a male body, which he then brings to life and names Adam. Adam's mind, body, and soul all came into being as a unified whole at the exact same time. Sam Alberry writes, Adam's maleness is physically grounded not merely psychologically determined. Now, this is what the Bible says, and I know some people will have issue with the Bible, and that's my point, is that in order to believe this, you have to divorce yourself from a creator-creation reality. First, sex is binary. Second, bodies matter. Third, this is my favorite, sex is sacred sacred. I want you to notice both maleness and femaleness image God. Amen. Ladies. Amen. I know, you know, you may not, you know, your husband or your, you know, your son or some man in your life. Maybe that's maybe there was a distorted picture, but it's male and female. Amen. Men in a culture that has dom- that male dominated, patriarchal, toxic masculinity. I know those words can mean different things, but in a culture that has where men have enslaved women and have objectified women. And if you don't believe me, just look at your Facebook and your Instagram, right? There's an objectifying going on in a culture where that has been perpetuated over and over again. It is not just the man that's been created, but it is the woman who's been created in the image of God. And so we need to understand sex is sacred because sex images God. And guess what? We're not the only ones that were created male and female. The animal world is created that way. But we are the only creatures given this sacred significance. This is powerful. Men and women, both, both of you bring to the creative order a unique, non-interchangeable glory that the other does not have, that both are needed in complement to image God. Now, we'll talk more about that and how that splices out. Some of you like, well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Because complementarianism, egalitarianism. And... But what I'm trying to say is, this is a sacred significance image of God given to male and female. And you can't just have all males and get God's image. And you can't just have all females. You can't just say we're all the same and get God's image. There is a unique glory. Now how that uniqueness boils out and plays out, that's where you'll find a lot of debate and dialogue. 
Watch, when we blur or even try to erase those binary lines, we take what is sacred and make sacrilege. We take what is holy and make profane. I want to finish today, and I know I'm a little behind here, y'all, but I'm going to bring it to you, but I want to finish today with what I'm calling the problem of sin and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the gospel, amen? The word can cut, but the gospel will heal the cut in order for surgery to take place. The problem of sin, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. You know, it's inevitable. It's inevitable because of sin in this world, you, without a doubt, you're gonna experience pain. Do you know that? It's inevitable. It's inevitable because of sin. You, without a doubt, can experience pain and experience afflictions, suffering. Now watch. And whether your pain is physical due to sickness or psychological due to gender dysphoria, I want to make something clear to everyone. Many of your pains, afflictions, and sufferings, internal confusions, is a result of a fallen world. And is not the result of your own personal sin. Is that controversial? Let me finish before you answer. I said many. There are some pains and afflictions and sufferings that are directly a result of your sin. But there are some confusions, some anxieties. Like we don't look at somebody who has cancer and say, man, you, what did you do wrong? Now we see cancer as a result of a fall. But we don't look at someone with cancer and say, man, you're a sinner. You guys see that? Sin comes not in the fact that a burden is present, but sin comes in how you decide to carry that burden. You with me? See, battling with gender dysphoria is one thing, but what you decide to do and who you decide to trust as a result of that battle is another Y'all see that? Will you trust God? Or will you trust man? It all goes back to trust, doesn't it? Will you trust God? Is he good? Does he know what's best? Does he want what's best for your life? Or will you trust yourself? Will you allow the creator to tell you who you are? Or will you find identity in sin, in pleasure, in work, in family, in marriage? Or will you find your identity somewhere else?
Y'all with me? While many are looking to transition, Christ is into transformation. And there's new life in Christ alone. We are new creatures in Christ alone. I want to respond and worship for a moment and then I will pray over you. But I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 23. And it reads like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul is saying, I will gladly suffer temporary so that I can have pleasure eternally. And though my sufferings are deep and difficult and some don't understand and some laugh and some don't understand the pain, though my sufferings of this present time are not, though they are suffering, they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He goes on to say, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, right? Creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies. Even our bodies are suffering from the fall. Where does transgression come in? Not the fact that you carry an affliction or a burden or a confusion or a struggle. Transgression comes in as how you carry that burden, that struggle. You're either going to carry it to Christ And lay it down at the foot of the cross and trust him with your whole heart, with your whole mind. You're going to find a community who's going to love you. We don't do that too well. Who's going to walk with you. You're going to call when you're battling. Some of you know what I'm talking about because this is you. You're either going to carry it in your own strength You're going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to play it, lay it on the cross. And you know what's going to help you get through? It's the hope that in eternity your body is going to be redeemed and that you'll forever be with him. It's the only way. Or you're going to attempt to carry it in your own strength. And I can list you statistic after statistic of people who have and we're just starting to find this out because transitioning and hormone therapy and cosmetic surgery all of this is new onto the scene I mean some of us 
you know, it reminds me of the vaccine. There's a fear, right? There's a genuine fear, right? Some of us got it. Some of us don't. I'm not, listen, I'm just saying because man, it's not tested. It's, you know, there's all of these else. Well, what is it going to look like five, 10, 15 years? I've heard this conversation. I've had these dialogues and I'm, I don't want to go there, but what I'm saying is there's, there's these beginning stages, right? Hormone therapy and cosmetic surgery. And, and now it's just all these numbers are coming out now and it didn't fix the feeling of angst. And yeah, that could, it's cultural though, but nonetheless, there's other elements in which people are regretting the decision. You know, the percentages is about 88% of girls who are experiencing dysphoria come out of it after adolescence. And it's about 80% of boys that experience this dysphoria actually come out of it after adolescence. But now in adolescence, we're doing hormone stoppers and allowing our sons and daughters not to progress. Now I know in some rooms that would be applauded, but in this room, this church, we have a call, grace and truth the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes creatures brand new. Isn't that what we want? We all inherently know something's wrong. We want to be made new. We want to be made new in Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.